I love it. Congrats, guys. All right, turn, um, grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. All right, this is awesome. Next week will be our last week in the book of Acts. Oh my goodness, it's been what, nearly two years? A year and a half, I know COVID kind of interrupted everything, but we are going to be done with the book of Acts next week. And I know you're like, how do I respond to this? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, if I cheer and I'm happy, what does that mean? <laughs> that relief <laughs> but we are however be excited whatever um, it's quite an achievement for all of us through COVID and everything but God is good and this week we are in um, Acts chapter 28 and we're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 10 um, and then next week from 11 onwards we're going to be done with it okay I'm going to be reading normally um, I um, read and preach from the ESV but but um, Acts is narrative, and I think the NIV really reads well. And so I've been using that, and I like the NIV, actually. It's quite it's a nice translation. Um, and so I'm going to read and follow along as uh, I read. <laughs> Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. And the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt, um, Give me one second, guys. I think <laughs> I knew it. Um, I'm using a Bible app, and I'm reading from... I was just reading from the New Living Translation. Sorry. Oh, my gosh, so embarrassing. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This doesn't sound like an IV. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's start again. I bet some of you knew, didn't you? Right? Some of you had NIVs, and you didn't tell me. Oh, you are horrible. Don't do that again. <laughs> All right, that's why you don't use Bible apps. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, Acts 28, verse 1 to 10, NIV version. Um, sorry. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The Icelanders showed us unusual kindness. Um, they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out of the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the Icelanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. 
He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. All right, let's pray. God, thank you again for this time. <sighs> we are all here this morning. with a desire to know you. God, even if our motives were a little off as to why we were gathering this morning, God, may you purify our desires. So God, as we explore um, this passage and what it means for us, we ask that you would speak god we know you are always speaking and so what we do ask for is that you would open up our ears and to hear our eyes to see what you want us to see and give us a heart with a desire to live out all of these truths in jesus name we pray amen amen um, our passage for this morning um, begins with Paul and the other shipwreck survivors standing on the shore of what is today called St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta. It's a miracle that they're even alive because not too long ago, their ship, um, which was on its way to Rome, was caught in a devastating storm. Just before the ship was completely destroyed, every passenger was able to survive the shipwreck by swimming to shore. That's what we covered yesterday, Paul's shipwreck and the voyage and everything like that. And so as they stand and lie on the shore of Malta, um, they're cold, they're wet, and they're exhausted, but not long. After being on the shores of Malta, they're greeted by the natives of the island. Island natives are often hostile, right, towards castaways. Um, if you've ever watched kind of those, you know, castaway movies where, you know, people are stranded on an island, most of the natives there are hostile. But the natives of the island of Malta are the opposite. Let's read verse 2 again. It says, The Icelanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. All right? So we've seen in the ancient world, it was the norm for shipwreck victims to either be made slaves or be put to death um, by the natives of an island. But the natives of this island, Malta, um, are showing Paul and the shipwreck survivors unusual kindness, okay, unusual kindness. Um, what this means is that they go out of their way to care 
for the 200 plus shipwreck survivors who just washed up on shore. Um, it's fascinating how they do this because think about it. Last week we found out there was like 200 plus people on this ship, okay? And they've all survived. They end up on this island and the natives are super kind in an unusual way, okay? And how are they kind? How do they display kindness? Um, they build a fire for them. It didn't matter to the islanders um, who the men from the ship were. Um, what we have to remember is Paul was one of several prisoners on the ship um, and who was on his way to Rome to have his case um, judged by Caesar. And so there were other prisoners with them. But the interesting thing about this is the islanders, the, Mal the people of Malta, the natives, didn't know about this. But regardless of who they were, they were unusually kind to them by warmly welcoming them and providing whatever they needed to recover from the trauma of a shipwreck. Um, the way these natives of Malta went above and beyond what was expected should be an inspiration for us, okay? Their kindness was uncommon and extraordinary. An unknown author says this, says this, sometimes hospitality goes beyond invitation. Sometimes it is simply a love that meets and exceeds real needs with peculiar and abnormal kindness. And so this is an inspiration for us. Why? Because as Jesus followers, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we aren't called to be common and normal in any way, okay? But especially with our kindness, we are, as Christians, called to kindness and love that is uncommon, that is unusual. And so the question I want us to briefly explore before we move on is, how kind are you? Is your kindness safe and convenient or is it radical and unusual? In the coming weeks, this is the question I want all of us thinking about. How can I show kindness in a way that is unusual? Maybe it's inviting a first-time guest, right, that just showed up this morning to lunch and just paying for them. Maybe the way you can express unusual kindness is by dedicating and time during the week to specifically praying for people in your church family. Perhaps how you can show kindness um, is by giving a financial gift to someone who needs it. And some of you can show kindness in an unusual way by forgiving someone who has deeply hurt you. Um, this week, the question you want to be thinking about is how can you show unusual kindness to your neighbors, to the people you work with, and to members of your church family or to a stranger that you meet. Extending true and unusual kindness may not be convenient, expected, or even common, but as Jesus followers, we are called to go above and beyond 
when it comes to kindness. We are called to unusual kindness and love. I love what Jesus says in Luke 6, 35. He says this, <clears throat> but love your neighbors and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Right? I love that passage because it not only um, it calls us to be kind in unusual ways, it gives us the why of why we should be kind. Okay? And <laughs> like people show kindness for all different types of reasons. There's always an ulterior motive. Um, I was once waiting in a coffee um, at a coffee shop for my drink. Um, and I was just waiting, and there was a guy who was standing next to me also waiting for a drink. I could tell that he was looking and wanting to spark a conversation. And so he walks up to me, looks down at my shoes, and goes, boy, I love your Doc Martens. Okay? I, as you can see, I wear Doc Martens a lot. They're super comfortable, and I get a lot of compliments. So I was just like, he's one of many people that are complimenting me for my Doc Martens. Um, but he not only complimented me, but he wanted to just have a lengthy conversation. And so he was asking me who I am, what I do. And as a pastor, if someone wants to engage in a conversation with me, praise the Lord. This is awesome. What an amazing opportunity God has given me to share the gospel. And so he's asking me questions. I'm looking for opportunities to really kind of communicate the gospel. And then it gets to a point where I understand exactly why he sparked a conversation with me. He mentions this. He says, I know how you can make extra money for yourself. <laughs> All right. In a room of this size, I know you have been approached by those people. Apparently, it's a pyramid scheme, everything like that. And I am, look, if you are here and that's what you've been doing for life, I am not mocking it, okay? I am not. I'm just saying, telling you a story, all right? <laughs> right? And so that was his reason for showing me kindness and wanting to spark a conversation. There are always motives as to why people show kindness. And so the question we have to think about is, as Christians, why should we be kind? And it's obvious, isn't it? The inspiration for our kindness should ultimately be because of the kindness God has shown us and continues to show us in Jesus Christ. Okay? God is gracious. He is kind in not, I think, above an unusual way. We don't deserve everything he gives us and we don't deserve what he wants to give us in the future he is kind and his kindness towards us should be the inspiration for why we should be kind to other people back to our story and so as they sit with the Icelanders and try their best to interact with them the fire keeping them warm begins to call. More wood is needed. And so wanting to be helpful, Paul stands to his feet and begins to gather some wood to feed the fire. Paul's been through a lot in recent weeks. He's just survived a storm and a shipwreck. And so the kindness shown 
by the people on this island has been refreshing for his soul. But just when Paul thought he had entered into a season of rest and refreshment, tragedy strikes again. Look at verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. As Paul starts feeding the fire with the wood, a snake emerges from the pile and bites his hand. This kind of snake is very interesting because apparently I did some research, but it's a kind of a small snake. It's got these fixed fangs, and when they bite, what they do is they latch on. They hold on to you and chew for a few seconds in order to deliver the venom. My goodness. Woo! And this is the kind of snake that has latched onto Paul's hand. Doesn't bite and let go, but latches onto his hand and refuses to let go. And so, as you can imagine, this snake attack causes a commotion. Everybody's freaking out. Paul's doing everything he can to get the snake to let go of his hand, but the snake continues to hold on. He's not letting go. Meanwhile, the, nat- the natives of the island are not as panicked by this incident. Snake bites like this don't happen a lot on the island, but when they do, based on their worldview, based on how they view the world and their beliefs, these natives have an idea of why it happened. Look at verse 4. When the islanders um, saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. (laughs) Right? So they're they're incredibly superstitious, right? They're looking at Paul, and they're looking at this guy. Everyone's freaking out, trying to help him, but they're looking at him going, he's a horrible individual, and he has got what he deserves. They believe in something similar to karma. And karma is the idea that you get what you deserve. You've heard that term recently. Um, Conor McGregor, um, who's an Irish uh, mixed martial artist fighter, had the worst injury ever. He was apparently in a fight or something and took a step back and his leg snapped and broke. I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's what happened, all right? And after the fight, people took to social media including the guy he fought, and said, basically, he's got what he deserves. Karma was what led to him breaking his leg. And so in our culture, we hear that a lot. And that's similar to what's happening here. And so when they see these these um, natives of Maltese, when they see a venomous snake hanging from Paul's hand, they assume he could very well be a murderer. 
who is finally being punished by the goddess justice. Clinton Arnold, who's a scholar, he says this, in the first century, justice was viewed, justice was viewed as a goddess of punishment and revenge who would ex execute judgment. In this instance, the Icelanders interpret the, snakes, the snake bite to reflect the judgment of justice on Paul for a crime that has gone undetected or unpunished by human authorities. Okay, so they're like, yeah, we know what's happening here. He's a prisoner, he's a murderer, and he's being punished for what he deserves. And so as they watch Paul trying to get the snake off his hand and as they entertain the belief that he's a criminal being punished for past crimes, look at verse 5 to see what happens next. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Okay, he's managed to get the snake off. Okay, that's crazy. But what's even more interesting is that verse 5 also says that he suffered no ill effects. In other words, Paul hasn't developed any of the symptoms associated with a snake bite. There's no wound, no blood. He's still standing to his feet. He's perfectly fine. This is unbelievable. And how do the natives respond to this? Look at verse 6. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Okay? They're like, okay, he's managed to get a snake off his hand. But the venom still making its way through his veins. And any moment from now, any moment from now, he's going to collapse and die. But... After waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, guess what? They changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> All right. They are stunned by what they've just witnessed. Okay? They don't know what to make of it. They don't know how to interpret it. So what they do is that they just interpret this whole thing through the lens of their pagan beliefs. If Paul has survived a shipwreck, if Paul has survived a snake bite, he must be a god. They no longer view him as a criminal being punished for his crimes, but they now see him as a god that deserves to be worshipped. Um, Schnabel, who's another author and scholar, he says this, in the context of pagan mythology, the logic is understandable. A person who survives both a shipwreck and a snake bite must be someone in whom divine power is revealed. Right? And so one moment they're demonizing him, and the other they're worshiping him as a god. Believe it or not, most of you probably know this, there are, in our world, misguided churches who 
are all about the practice of what is known as snake handling. Okay, who's heard about snake handling? Most of you have. <laughs> See someone go. <laughs> it's a thing. These are professing Christians who believe that Christians should actually be playing around with snakes. And their belief is based on a misinterpretation. Let me say that again. A misinterpretation of this incident in Acts 28, Mark 16, and Luke 10. Based on a misinterpretation of these passages, they believe that if you're truly a Christian, if you have God's spirit within you, you should be able to handle and play around with snakes and a number of other venomous snakes and suffer no harm whatsoever. During their service, if we had this belief, okay, what we would do is I would have a snake and I would be holding it and I would pass it around and everyone will take turns in handling this snake. And we would do that, why? In order to prove that our faith in God is authentic and legit. Just so you know, let me say it again, we as a church reject <laughs> anything like this. God can and will protect us according to his will as we are serving him. That is a truth, okay? But we are not to put the Lord to the test. Just as Jesus refused to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and just as Daniel didn't go lion hunting, so we are not to intentionally seek out situations that require God's miraculous intervention. This whole snake handling thing has major issues, okay? Major issues. First, it's dumb. It's just, <laughs> right? Like, if you read, type it, in, type it in on Google, there's so much of, like, videos about people at hand and they get bitten and people are dying. It's just dumb. Major problem. But I think the biggest issue with this is that it undermines the gospel. It undermines Jesus 
And this is why. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, okay, if you remember after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit and um, um, the fall had happened and sin had entered into the world, um, God said this to the serpent, okay? And the serpent, if you look at Bible, the serpent uh, most of the time represents Satan, all right? He says this, that, right, um, he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? That was what happened in Acts. That was a promise. God had promised mankind, okay? And saying that Jesus would come, okay? The serpent would have an impact, a negative impact on humanity, but God will send his son, Jesus Christ, who would end up crushing um, the serpent, okay? And so, if we fast forward, Jesus comes and does exactly that through his suffering, through his um, death, through his resurrection, Jesus had victory over Satan, sin, and death, right? And so if we're talking about humans trying to handle snakes and everything, what that is doing is not proving to people that you have faith in Jesus, it's actually undermining Jesus and what he's done for us. Jesus is the only one that can crush and destroy Satan, sin, and death. We have no reason to be handling and trying to put ourselves in those situations. Back to our story. And so, Paul has become a bit of a celebrity on the island of Malta. News spreads quickly throughout that island about him and how he must be a god this all who Paul is and what he's been up to comes to the attention of a man named Publius. He's the chief official of the island. And so he's intrigued by Paul. And so because of that, he invites Paul and his companions to his home. Look at verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. My goodness, these, these island natives are incredible. Right? He showed them generous hospitality. I don't know how many people went. Remember, 200 plus people came off the boat. Okay? The, the natives welcomed them, gave them a fire, gave them everything they needed. Now the chief official of the island has invited them to his home. Lots of them. And he's invited them to his home, not just for one night, okay? but he is hospitable to them for three days. During their time with Publius, Paul finds out that his father is sick in bed. Um, his father is suffering from fever and dysentery. And so from medical treatments to charms to incantations, Publius has done everything he can to help his father recover from his fatal illness, but nothing has worked. And so he's heard that this poor guy just, you know, just, just got bitten by a snake, but nothing happened to him. And everyone's talking about how he's a god. And so what does he do? He seeks help from Paul. Look at verse 8. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Not only that, look at verse 9. 
when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Did you guys read that? You did, didn't you? The rest, everyone hears. Oh my goodness, Paul's healed. Chief officer's dad. I'm sick. I know, or I know someone's sick. I'm going to go. And I don't know how many people were on the island, but it says the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. All of them were healed. God is working in ways unheard of on the island of Malta. The locals haven't seen anything like this before. Whoever was sick on the island was brought to Paul and he healed them. At this point, the question many of you have been thinking about, okay, if you haven't, you should be, is this. Does God still do miracles like this today? Is it okay for us as modern day believers living in America's finest city to expect God to heal like this? Should we expect God to do extraordinary miracles similar to what we've been reading about? Not just here in Acts 28, but throughout Acts. Okay, we're one week away from finishing Acts. And from the very beginning, we have seen some extraordinary miracles happen through God's people. And so, should we expect God to do extraordinary miracles similar to what we've been seeing and reading about in Acts? Some people would say, absolutely. We should expect God to still do extraordinary miracles like this today. Whatever is happening in Acts should be happening today. While some believe this, others in our culture just don't believe in miracles at all. They're convinced Miracles are for the naive, ancient mind and not for modern, scientific people like us. And so, some are obsessed with miracles and others reject the existence of miracles altogether. These are, I would say, the two extremes um, at play in our culture, okay? Uh, as a church, okay, we don't want to be obsessed with miracles. We don't want to be, oh, we have to see miracles. We, have to, we want to see miracles, but we're not obsessed with miracles, and we're not um, um, thinking and believing that everything that happened in Acts should happen now. And the reason behind this, this, that if you read Acts, what we, how we have to read Acts is through the lens of what is prescribed and what is described, okay? Prescript is descriptive. You've heard that before, okay? Acts, we have to know the sections 
in the parts of Acts that are just describing what was happening thousands of years ago and also understand the sections that are prescribed, that are prescribed to Christians throughout all generations. Does that make sense? Thank you. And so as a church, we don't want to be obsessed and think everything happening has to happen now. Nor, as a church, do we reject the existence of miracles. We believe God still does miracles today. He absolutely does. God will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And as a Christian, I have seen God heal people and God do miraculous things. I believe God still does miracles today. But we also believe the kinds of miracles he did through his people in the book of Acts, not all of them are supposed to be normative for today, but were done for a specific purpose. The Greek word for miracle is semios, which means sign. This means Miracles are signs, and like all signs, they're never about themselves, but they're all about pointing toward something. Miracles point to something beyond themselves. And so the question is, when we look at all of these miracles in the Bible and our lives, um, who or what are they pointing to? They point into God himself, of course. Ultimately, miracles exist to reveal God's character, his identity, and his compassion for people. Um, Eric Metaxas, who has an amazing name. I love his name. This is what he says. That's the point of miracles, to point us beyond our world to another world. If miracles exist at all, they exist not for their own sake, but for us to point us towards something beyond, to someone beyond, okay? For example, while Jesus was on earth, okay, he performed countless miracles, all right? He healed the sick, he cast out evil spirits, he made the blind see, made the deaf hear, etc., etc. And the most important thing to realize is that Jesus performed all of these miracles, not just because of his love for people, but to essentially authenticate his identity. Now, to authenticate something is to prove that it's true or genuine. Okay, you guys understand that. Police officers need uniforms and a badge to authenticate their identity, okay? When you buy a piece of clothing that is designer, you look for a label that tells you that it's authentic and it's real, right? A lot of our vegan food, we're big into vegan in San Diego, all right? If you're buying something vegan, you look for that label that proves that it's vegan. It authenticates it in a similar way. The ultimate purpose of Jesus' miracles were to authenticate his identity, to prove that he was truly the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so, in the book of Acts, miracles were done through God's people for the same purpose. 
to authenticate their identity as God's chosen messengers. In other words, whenever God did miracles through the apostles, like Paul healing every sick person on the island of Malta, he was essentially saying, these are my messengers, and the message they proclaim is my message. Although, when not told in this story, whether Paul shared the gospel or not, it's highly likely that he did, okay? It's also possible that some of the natives on the island were saved. We're not told this in other accounts in Acts, whenever there's a miracle and there's a healing, there's a preaching of the gospel and people get saved. We're not told that it happened here, but it's likely that it did. And so, what's the purpose of the miracles on the island of Malta? It wasn't a thank you from God because of the kindness they showed to Paul, right, and the others, God wasn't like, oh, as a thank you, I'm going to allow Paul to do miracles. No. But the purpose of Paul being unharmed by the snake bite, the purpose of the miraculous healings was to authenticate that Paul was God's man doing God's work, proclaiming God's message, okay? God did all of these miracles through Paul so that the natives of the island would seriously consider the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. In fact... Just think about this. The ultimate purpose, the reason why Paul ended up on the island in the first place was for the spread of the gospel. Think about it. When Paul left Rome, sorry, left Caesarea for Rome, God was like, look, I know the plan is to get you to the big city of Rome so that you can spread and strengthen my gospel there. But I want you to stop on the little island of Malta so the natives there can hear about my son Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. Think about this. Everything that Paul experienced the storm, the shipwreck, unusual kindness of the natives, the snake bite, the healings, everything he experienced was part of God's great and awesome plan for everyone, everywhere, to hear about Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. It's crazy. Some of you are like, what? So, like, basically God, like, like, well, Paul was supposed to go to Rome. He could have gone to Rome and easily on the ship. But 
Do you think God allowed a storm so that, you know, Paul could also, you know, communicate the gospel and declare God's power on the ship and how God can be trusted? And God allowed all of this so that the boat could be shipwrecked near an island called Malta and that Paul would get on the island um, ready to rest and relax but get bitten by a snake. Nothing happens to him and for him to do all these healings. You're trying to tell me God allowed all of that and orchestrated all of that so the people of Malta could hear the gospel? Yes! Why do I believe that? Because if God went to great lengths in order to save us, in order to save you, what do I mean by that? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, okay, to earth, right? Not just to live a good life, but to die on the cross for you. If God went to great lengths, if God did whatever it takes to save you, he will do the same to save others. Everything that happened in Malta became opportunities for God to show himself strong and reveal himself to those who had no knowledge of him. God used imprisonment, shipwreck, snake snake bites, and illness to accomplish his good plan. And so the truth is, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, right, whatever season you end up in, right, is part of God's great plan to make his son, Jesus Christ, known and loved by everyone, everywhere. And so the question I want you guys to be thinking about is this, all right? How do you deal with changes to your life and your plans? Can you accept the changes to your life and plans as God's grace in orchestrating you for the spread of the gospel. God often works in ways we don't understand. And so rather than an inconvenience and a challenge to your plans, when your schedule or your plan for your life is thrown into turmoil, we understand that it's because God has other plans for you, right? That will ultimately contribute to the spread of his gospel everywhere. God has a plan. He had a plan for Paul. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for our church and for the world at large. And this ultimate plan is for everyone, everywhere to know, love, and live for Jesus. And so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be ready for gospel opportunities. See it as God's ultimate plan for you to contribute to the fame of Jesus in this world. So whether you're on vacation, 
<laughs> right? I was thinking that the other day. Like I read a cool article about, you know, when Christians are on vacation and how when we're on vacation, we kind of get to this mode where we just want to be with ourselves. And so when someone kind of sits next to you at the pool or at the beach, you're like, I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation, right? I'm on break from being a Christian, from evangelism, <laughs> right? So whether on your, you're on vacation, whether you're in the hospital waiting room, whether you're on a hospital bed, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of Christians being hospitalized and how God has used them <laughs> in incredible ways while in hospital. Whether you're deployed, my military gang, um, whatever happens in your life, is part of what God is doing to move all things toward their goal and their end, which is Jesus Christ. And so, may this story, this obscure and odd story near the end of the book of Acts remind you that everything, everything, your whole life and miracles and changes and everything is contributing to the fame of Jesus around the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for the many um, things that we learned from it. There's so much more that we could have explored. But God, just a reminder of what one of the things we're called to that we overlook um, is for us to not just be kind like everybody else, but God, you've called us to be unusually kind kind in a radical way and so this week as we think about this help us to express your kind of kindness Lord the kindness that is inspired by your continual kindness towards us and so God also we just discovered how um, you go to great lengths in order to in order for everyone everywhere to know and love and live for Jesus. And so God help us, whatever situation we find ourselves in, to know that it's not, it hasn't escaped your sovereignty and it's all part of your great plan for everyone everywhere to know, love and live for Jesus. Thank you so much. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.